How are we doing, Cam? How are you doing? Let's give Sansoni another hand. Michaela, thanks so much. Crushed it, sharing. <coughs> so I got to be honest with you. I might be sitting down a little bit, and I might be standing up a little bit. I'm a tummy ache survivor. Any tummy ache survivors out there yesterday? Yeah, I'm doing good now. But <laughs> no, also, you know, sometimes it's good to sit. That's not what I'm talking about today, though. I'm not talking about being a proud tummy ache survivor. I'm talking about uh, <laughs> something different. Uh, we are excited uh, for Cam. If you're new, welcome again. We're glad that you're here. If you've been coming for a while, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, I want to start with a question, okay? Are we ready? Here's a question with you that I want to invite you to think about. It's actually a serious question. Here it is. What's your why? What's your why? What's your why? What is the reason that you get out of bed? Like, why? What's your why that motivates you during the day? What's, the, what's your why? That's what's the thing that's in front of your mind when you're going through classes, when you're at work, when you're at an internship, when you're driving, when you're walking. Your why is the most important question that defines you. Your why is the thing that you think about when you're going to, when you're going to sleep. Your why is super, super important because it drives you. Your why is the most important thing about you. What's your why? What's your purpose? What's your purpose for being here on earth? That's what I mean. Have you ever thought about that before? Like, what's my why? Well, if you have, I'm glad that you're here because we're talking about what our why could be today. Uh, as you've heard, we are starting this new series called Becoming New. And Becoming New, the idea behind this, I don't know how much I can say it. I'm like a mover. <laughs> because I'm good. Tummy's great. Uh, because um, a lot of times we can experience newness in Jesus. The reality is when we make the decision to follow him, he transforms us into something new. So we are going to be for five weeks talking about different things about how we can becoming, become new. And today we are going to be talking about what our why is. And the reality for me, there have been different seasons where my why has been different things. When I was younger, and I love what Nick was sharing, a lot of good stuff and a lot of stuff that I want to talk about today. When I was younger, uh, my why, a lot of it was in what people thought of me. If someone had like a good opinion of me or said a good word to me, that changed my day. And the reverse of that was if someone kind of scoffed at me or I said something, raised my hand in class, and they're like, oh, why, why was he talking? Like, I would pick up on those cues, and I would feel bad about myself. My why was affirmation. Later, when, you know, in, in a different season in my life, like, I really, really, a, li a lot like Nick, I was trying hard in school. Like, I wanted to get the best grades that I possibly could get, so I studied, and I studied, and I studied. I said no to a lot of healthy things in my life. I said no to balance. I said no to rest, and I burned myself because I wanted someday to be successful. I wanted someday to have financial security. I was like, no one's going to look after me. I got to look after me. My why was my achievement. And a lot of us, if we can think about different things in our lives, we have different whys. And I'm not saying this because these aren't necessarily bad things. It's good to do good in school. <laughs> it's good to, that people like you. If they don't, they can talk to me. I'll defend you. <laughs> but um, it's good to have, like, these, these things are not bad, but what is your why? You know, a lot of us, we can have different whys. It could be 
wanting to not be alone. We can want to have someone in our lives. The thought of being alone for the rest of our lives could be just this unbearable thought. And if it's becoming a reality, we can start grasping at different people to be like, hey, I want you to fill this need that I know you can't. We want the wife or the husband. We want the house. We want the kids. We want the things that are good. Our why is the good life. Our whys can be a lot of different things, maybe to influence, maybe to achieve fame, maybe to make a difference in the world. These whys aren't necessarily bad things. They can be really, really, really good things, but they can also be things that if you continue to go down that road, they can actually be a little harmful for us. What's your why? What's that one thing that directs the majority of the decisions that you make? What's that one thing that you think about when you're lying in your bed before you go to sleep or when you wake up? What's that one thing that motivates you when you're at school, when you're at work with your family, with your friends? What's your why? Because understanding what your why is has the power to dramatically change your life. It can change everything. And because your why is one of the most important things to really understand and grasp and really get a hold of, I want to talk about what your why is today because it's important for you. And it's not only important for you, God thinks that it's important for you and God talks about your why. So we're going to go there. We're going to go there in scripture and see what the Bible says about your why. And here's a little spoiler alert. You might not guess what it is. Maybe you will, but you might not. Here's, here's the first chapter of Genesis. This is Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We might be familiar with this passage. Nick talked about this passage. We are created in God's image. That's an important, important thing that we're creating in his image. But what does image mean? Okay, when you think about it, then God said, let us make mankind in our own image. Okay, what does image mean? Have you ever thought about that? Does he have two hands? Is, is that what it means? Does Maybe. Does he have two feet? Maybe. I want to look at that word image because that word is actually extremely important. The Hebrew word for image, and we, I think we have it on the slide, is selim. Everyone say selim. It's like, I'm going to sell them something. They're like, don't, you're like, don't do that again. Don't do that again. <laughs> selim is, but you'll never forget it. Selim. Selim is a physical representation. Selim is a Hebrew word to mean a physical representation. In our days, this is what we think of when we think of Selim. We think of a statue, like the Statue of Liberty. I don't know who she is, but she's green now. But here's a Statue of Liberty. When we think of Selim, we think of statue. But back in the ancient Near East, when Genesis was written, they would think more about this, an idol. You see, Selim was a physical representation often of a deity or of a god. And in that deity, it's believed that the essence of God actually resides in that idol. So that when someone would take that idol and put it somewhere, maybe it's by their bed, maybe it's by their gate, their city gate, wherever it is by their store, 
they were intentionally placing it because a part of that essence of God was, was actually in that statue, meaning the authority of that God was in that idol. And now when we go back to Genesis and we read image, it actually has a pretty profound a pretty profound understanding. Let's see Genesis 27. I, I changed the words here to the Hebrew word. So God created mankind in his own selim. In the selim of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does this mean? This is what it means. You are the physical representation of God. God created you to represent him to the world. There is no other thing that has been created that we know of in the universe with that high of esteem. God of everything, the beginning of it all, created humanity, created you in his image. And what does he say to do? Let's go on. He said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. I'm not going to go in the Hebrew word of that because I don't want to sound too nerdy, but rule doesn't mean like, hey, you got to do what I'm saying. That's not what the context is. Rule means to cultivate. Did I scare you, Callie? I'm sorry. I scared myself too. <laughs> yeah, you were doing the rule thing. That's great. Uh, <laughs> no. well, I, did the rule. I, I need to move on. Um, <laughs> we, it's this reality that we're to cultivate to bring life up out of something, to see the good in something and say, I want you to thrive in the way that you were created to be. God created humanity and said, you are my selim, rule in the way that I rule. So if you ask the question, what is your why? What is your why? To represent God to the world. You're God's representatives. That's your why. So, it leads us to the most important question we can ask. How do we do that? <laughs> How do we represent God to the world then? If that's our why, if that's our purpose, what does that look like? Well, I want to spend the rest of our time going through three steps that I think could be helpful for us as we consider what's our purpose? Why are you here? What is the meaning of it all? I want to talk about that. The first thing is to become a student of God. To become a student of God. All right, so you don't have to be f familiar with the Bible. You don't have to be familiar with, like, you don't even have to have read the Bible to know what the word disciple means. It's a, it's a biblical world, right? Word, Jesus had disciples. He had 12 disciples. Now, in this context, the best word that we can probably use today for disciple is student. A disciple is a student. So Jesus was like a teacher. He was like a professor. In that context, he was a rabbi. And he gathered disciples. He gathered students around him, and he encouraged them to go where he went, to eat the food that he was eating, to listen to his teachings, really for their lives to be like a classroom setting where they're learning from Jesus so that they can represent Jesus. A lot of you are in school right now, or you've been in school, or you're going to be in school, or you're in, in, in an internship, or you're at a job. I have been in a lot of different classroom settings. I have been in different internships. And the goal of that, like 
let's say when I was an intern at a few different churches, I am following this pastor. I'm like, okay, how do you, how do you handle grief? How do you handle a celebration? How do you teach? How do you do these things? I want to learn from you so that I can represent what you're doing because I like what you're doing. And I want to become more like that. That's what disciple means. That's what a student means. And we have an invitation when it comes to God to act like that. To read the Bible and learn about the character of God. Why does he do the things that he do? That he does? Why does he say the things that he says? What does it look like to study that to become a student and take a step towards being more like God? Now, there's a lot of different things that I can talk about in the character of God. There's a lot of different names of who God is. There's a lot of different attributes, but I want to focus for the rest of my talk on one. It's the most important one because the Bible says it. It's love. What does it look like to be a student of God and love? The Bible says this when um, some teachers of law ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? which is another way of saying, like, what's the greatest way to represent you? This is how Jesus answered. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's all about love. But I want to look at something. Here's another slide. Let's go to the next slide. I highlighted a word here. See that word? Everyone say that word. As yourself. Those two words, okay? As yourself. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? Do you love yourself? <laughs> you don't have to answer out loud. <laughs> Do you love yourself? Honestly. When you strip everything away, and you're looking in the mirror, do you love yourself? Because the invitation that Jesus is saying is to love like I love you. How does God love you? Here's three verses. This is for you. This is for you. I'm convinced that Jesus had you in his mind when this was written. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're deeply loved by God. You know that? Do you know that? You are deeply loved by God. And here's my question. Are you living like someone who's deeply loved like that? Are you? I want to be sensitive. Because there's a lot of seasons in my life where I'm like, nope. I don't love myself. To be honest. God loves me. <laughs> Why? But this is truth for you. And if we're going to love other people like ourselves, how are we loving ourselves? I love it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's this reality that Jesus will never love you more at this moment right now because he loves you the most that he possibly can. 
regardless of what you've done or will do. It's this beautiful truth of love that's for all of us. And if you don't view yourself this way, I want to encourage you to take a step in seeing yourself as God sees you, because that is how he sees you. And with that, we can then move to the next step that I want to talk about. The next step is living for an audience of one. There you go. I like how big it is. We can't miss it. You're, you're slaying it, Vindesh. <coughs> live for, that's right. You got a couple of woos. That's pretty good. <coughs> live for an audience of one. Here's the deal. <laughs> a lot of times we can live our lives for a lot of different people. We can make decisions for people that are maybe our friends online. We can be so focused on what other people can think about us that we actually start to live and act in a way that will please other people. There are why. But God is inviting us to live for him. Because here's the truth. If God loves you more than anything, if his love for you is the most that anyone, I mean, think about this. He is the creator of the universe and he created you in his image. You are his physical representation. Jesus, as God, came down and suffered for you. He died on a cross for you. He resurrected and bring new life so that death will not defeat you. He defeated death. If that love is for you, if that first-class love is your reality, why would we ever go for a second class? If you have first-class seatings in an airline, why would you ever say, like, ah, coach is good? <laughs> They're like, no, but you get free drinks. You get free food. Like, you have those little hot towels. You can actually stretch your feet out. Come on. Uh, and you're like, no, I actually want to sit by the bathroom in the way, way back. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Right? No. God has a first-class love for you, but we're going to coach. Why? We're not living for an audience of one. What he thinks of you should matter more than what anyone thinks of you or even what you think of you because what he thinks of you is first class. I remember when um, I got my first ministry job. I haven't really told this story. I was thinking about it. I'm like, I haven't really said this, but I got my first ministry job uh, at a church in the Silicon Valley, a lot like Blackhawk. And my first role was the assistant middle school director. I didn't like middle schoolers. I don't know why I accepted the job. Well, God was like, hey, I want you to accept this job. That's a different story. But uh, it was actually pretty awesome. I was at, in that role for three years. But part of that role was to speak in front of middle schoolers and leaders. And there was a lot of them. And I was excited because in seminary, I, I, have, I had a lot of electives. And I took all of those electives and took preaching classes, preaching practicum, where I would sit in a classroom, type, and learn how to give like sermons, how to give talks, messages. I learned a lot of information, and I remember my first time being in front of all these middle schoolers, all these leaders, and what happened? Guys, I blacked out. <laughs> I froze. I got so nervous. I'm talking like the pit sweaties. It was so bad. <laughs> you laugh, but you know what it's like, okay? We're humans. I was, I got so much stage fright, and I, and I thought, like, are you kidding me? I literally studied. I paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Grad school was four years. I took summer, and now I'm actually in my profession, and my body is rejecting my profession, and it's middle schoolers. I'm like, what is this? 
Literally, the next time I got up to teach, same thing happened. The next time, same thing happened. I don't know if you like public speaking or not, but I did this thing where I knew what I was going to say, and then I would be in front of people, and literally I didn't know what to say. So I, I would have to, like, hold papers and be like, okay, children, and literally read <laughs> because I could not deal. That happened for a couple of years <laughs> until I was talking with one of my friends that were a pastor for a while, and I shared what was going on, and they're like, oh, you got to live for an audience of one. I'm like, what does that mean? Is that like a sports thing? I'm not really a sports guy. And they're like, no. Who matters most in that room? And I thought, well, I want to do good because I want other people to think I'm doing good. I want to do good because I want to change lives. I want to do good. And they're like, stop, 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 stop. The only opinion that matters most is God's. You do that for God. When you get up there, forget about everyone else and what they think. It's only about God live for an audience of one. And that changed things. I still get a little nervous. I'm pretty good right now. <laughs> but what does it look like in your circumstance to make the decision to live for an audience of one? Because when you make the decision to live for an audience of one, when you realize that that one loves you with an everlasting love, your response is going to be, I want to love you back. I want to live for you. I want to learn what it looks like to be a student of you. Your opinion matters more than anything. How are you doing with that? Like when you think of your life, have you ever thought, what does it look like to live for that audience of one? And if you haven't, that's okay. What would it look like to take a step towards caring what God thinks about you because he loves you and our response is to say okay I'm safe with you God you are what matters and when we make that decision we can learn we can go to the next step the last step I want to talk about is to shine God's love to others you cleaned it up that's nice <coughs> got a little sloppy before but you did a good job <laughs> I'm just joking Vindesh never does wrong to shine God's love to I don't know I'm unhinged <laughs> To shine God's love to others. Okay, here's the deal. I, I need to focus. <laughs> here's the deal. I don't know about you, but I love the moon, okay? Why is he talking about the moon? I'm one of those guys that I like to go to, like, the dark zones, you know, where there's no light and look at the stars. I love, I love the planets. I'm like, I listen to, like, science planet podcasts. That's, like, a weird thing about me. We can talk about it later, Jeffrey. Yeah, I love that. I love the moon. Think about the moon for a minute. I'm going to geek out for 15 seconds. That's all I'm going to do. People are rolling their eyes, but listen. We couldn't live how we do without the moon, people. We got the tides from the moon. Life as we know comes from the moon, okay? When we walk outside when it's dark, we can see things when it's dark. Why? Because of the moon. When it's a new moon, the moon still kind of influences. New moon is one you can't really see it. Anyways, my 15 seconds are done. But what's the moon's responsibility? To shine the light of the sun, right? That's kind of what it does. It shines the light of the sun so that everyone else can see when it's dark. And we're invited to shine God's love like the moon to other people. That's the invitation that God gives when we realize that Jesus loves us. 
and we're living for an audience of one, we can then give that love to others. Here's a passage in 1 John that says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has, <coughs> pardon me, and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love because he first loved us and we're able to shine to other people. That's what we're called to do. Okay, I want to do something a little bit different. I want you to, if you're comfortable, take out your phone. I'm going to borrow something uh, that a girl named Sadie Robertson did before. It was, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was so good. So take out your phone and keep it on the lock screen, but everyone go ahead and turn your flashlight on. Lock screen, turn your flashlight on. Let's go ahead and turn the lights off. Look at this. Look around. Isn't that kind of cool? It's like a little mini concert here. Mariah, get back up here. Let's sing. No, no. We are shining light right now. This is what we're called to do. We are little moons. We are called to shine God's light to other people, right? But what happens so often when we shine our light, go ahead and swipe left and go into selfie mode. Okay, what happened here? The light's off. Our phones are created to not shine light when we're focused on ourselves. When you focus on yourselves, you can't shine light. Okay, turn your flashlights back on. Here's a Bible verse. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, we can turn our lights off, and you can go ahead and turn the lights back on. You are called to shine the light of Jesus to those around you. God loves you. And out of that, we're to shine and represent that love to other people. What's your why? It's to shine. It's to represent God. That's our why. To get in touch with his love. You are the tselem of God. And I want to end by saying this. God created us in Genesis to be the selim, the physical representation of God. Whole Old Testament happens, New Testament comes, Jesus, who is God, enters our circumstance. He enters your circumstance. He dies on a cross for your sins. He raises again, and something happens, though, between that death and that raising. You see, before in the Old Testament, the presence of God lived in what was called the Holy of Holies. There was this temple, and God would be in that. His presence would be in there. And one time a year, the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies. He'd have to do ceremonially clean stuff. He would go and experience the presence of God. And when Jesus was on the cross, the text say, says that he breathed his loud 
uh, he breathed his last breath with a loud cry. And then immediately that curtain that separated the Holy of Holies with the presence of God was torn in two. Because the presence of God no longer can be kept in one little space. Jesus died. He raises again. His church gathers. And then his Holy Spirit comes. And what happens? Acts 2 says that he fills the room. His Holy Spirit fills his people. The New Testament says that you, Selim of God, the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God is now living in you. You are not only God's representatives, but God, if you've made the decision to follow him, is living in you. So wherever you're at today, what's your why? It's to shine God. It's to represent him. And what would it look like to, to, to take one step? Maybe you're like, okay, maybe I need to become a student of God. Or what would it look like to take a step to live for an audience of one? Well, man, I feel like God, like I'm understanding that he loves me. I feel like I want to take a step and shine God's love to others. Whatever it is, you are created to shine, to represent. That's your purpose. And God is in you wanting to help you with that. So let's pray. So with that, Jesus, man, there's so many things in this world that can tell us what our purpose is. And not all of them are bad. A lot of them are actually pretty good. But I pray that you show us what it looks like to shine you, to live for you. The reality that you are what matters most, Jesus. So I pray no matter where we're at, God, I pray for the person that's, that's heard this talk and they're thinking right now, man, I hear this, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know what's happened to me. Shine, I can't do that. Love, not me. God, I pray that you do something new in that person. You do something new in our lives. Fill us with something new. Show us this new reality, this new purpose. Help us become new in you, God. You didn't make a mistake with us. You have a plan and a purpose. So right now as we go into this last song, God, I pray that we can just come to a place where in a way we just kind of draw a circle around us and we encounter you as an audience of one. Not worrying about what the person next to us is going through or thinking, that we can come to a vulnerable place with you, that if we want to, we can spread out in the room. There's people in the back that can pray with us if we want that, or we can just stand or sit, whatever it looks like, Jesus, to know that right now you want to do something new in our lives. We didn't come here by mistake. We didn't come here to just listen to a talk and leave. We came here to become new. Whether we're a leader in the room or a student or we're working, God, I pray that you meet us and do a new work in us. Transform us. Show us your purpose so that we may shine you. In your name we pray.